0: It is part of my sense of personal mission in life to disabuse people of bad theology. Bad theology is dangerous. Bad theology makes people suffer. Maybe you have been a victim of bad theology. I have. Let me give you some examples of how bad theology hurts people. It is bad theology to tell people that they are essentially bad. People may do bad things, but at root, we are children of God, beloved by God. Fundamentally, we are not bad, so it is bad theology and causes suffering to tell people that they're bad. It leads to guilt and shame, even self-loathing and worse. No, we are created in God's image and pronounced very good. It is also bad theology to tell people that they are in danger of going to hell. When you believe in a God who is essentially defined by the word love, it makes no sense in my opinion that the idea that God's crowning achievement would be an eternal torture chamber. Hell is bad theology and the fear of hell has caused much suffering. Now, here is the bit of bad theology that I want us to focus on today. It is bad theology to believe that whatever I am suffering, as some kind of payback or recompense for my misdeeds." There are two ways to show that God is not a God of retribution. First, the real world. Does the real world show us that suffering is the result of di- divine punishment for sins? I was just having a conversation with a person who spent a career in nursing, from nursery to pediatrics all the way to home health care and hospice nursing. We were talking about children. Not only do children get cancer, but some are even born with it. Some with spina bifida. Some are born addicted to drugs. They have done nothing to deserve it. And to imagine that there is such a thing as a God who would punish parents by causing infants to suffer and die, makes God out to be a moral monster. None of us would imagine doing something so unjust and hideous. God cannot be like that, not if God has an ounce of goodness. The real world shows us that it doesn't work that way. The second way to deconstruct the doctrine of divine retribution is that Jesus said repeatedly that God does not work that way. Jesus said that the man born blind is not guilty and neither are his parents. The ones who died when the tower fell were not killed for being the worst sinners, Jesus said. He said that God causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on the fields of the righteous and the wicked, the godly and the ungrateful. So it is not the case that suffering comes as a consequence of bad behavior. Some behavior carries its own consequences. Bad diets lead to bad health outcomes, for example. Drug abuse can lead to addiction and a whole cascade of problems. But that's not something God does. That's what we do to ourselves. So, turning to the story we read, I want to say to Bathsheba, you were not raped by King David because God was punishing you. I want to say to Uriah, you were not murdered by King David because of anything bad you did. Just the opposite. I want to say to Bathsheba, you were raped because an entitled, powerful man believed he had the right to your body to satisfy his own lusts. He did not. He was abusing his power. He may have been king, but he was not above the moral law. David was wrong. Bathsheba was not. Neither was her husband, Uriah, guilty of anything. In fact, according to the story, he was so upright that he would not even take advantage of a chance to be with his wife when his men were suffering on the field of battle. Uriah was not killed for his sins. He was killed by the same man that raped his wife, a powerful man, conducting an attempted cover-up. There are several reasons why this sordid story is in the Bible. One is what we just reflected on, that bad things do happen to good people without being punishments from God. And we will return to that theme in a minute. Another important teaching from this story is this. No one is above the moral law, not even the king. Later in the story, the prophet Nathan confronts David, possibly at the risk of his life. He speaks truth to power. He believes in an authority above the king. No one is above the moral law, regardless of power, wealth, popularity, or position. This is a value we Presbyterians hold dear. When the government is wrong, we will raise our voices. When officials are corrupt, we will not be silent. When there is abuse of power, we will call it out. We will champion the causes of the oppressed. We will fight for justice for people discriminated against. We continue the tradition of Jesus who went to the temple to shut it down, resisting the corruption and oppression that its aristocratic leaders were subjecting the peasants to. We join the great tradition of Presbyterians who were at the forefront of the effort to free slaves and abolish slavery. We join hands with all the Presbyterians that marched with Dr. King and other civil rights leaders demanding changes in laws that restricted access to voting, housing, education and employment for people of color. Recently, we marched against the killing of George Floyd and the systemic racism that his murder symbolized. We are, right now, working to bring the bail Project to the River Valley so that poor people don't have to sit in jail while their wealthier peers are out on bail awaiting trial. The story of David and Bathsheba combined with the Jesus tradition is there to give us the mandate to holding all people accountable to doing the right thing. But let us return to the story and again reflect more on what happened. Bathsheba and Uriah were victims of evil acts. They did not suffer because they were being punished for anything they had done. It is important to notice that there is more than one perspective about this in the Hebrew Bible. There are many chapters that teach the doctrine of retribution, that those who do good get blessed and those who are evil are punished even in this story. Later, we read how David was punished for his sins. The son, born of his rape of Bathsheba, died as punishment, according to the story. So, although Bathsheba and Uriah were innocent victims, nevertheless, the author here still believed that the guilty should be punished. But as people in those ancient times reflected on the reality that many good people Like Bathsheba and Uriah suffered through no fault of their own, they began to tell other stories that taught a different view. They told the story of Job, a righteous man, according to the author, who suffered horribly. He lost his children, his flocks and herds, his health, and the love of his own wife who told him, Curse God and die. His friends, according to the story, came to tell him his suffering was punishment for something he must have done, but they were wrong. Job's sufferings were not a punishment from God. As we saw, Jesus concluded that Job was right and his friends were mistaken about God. So Jesus taught us to love God, not to fear God. Jesus taught us that when we do wrong, When we lose our way, when we get off track, God is not there to make us suffer. Rather, God is like the shepherd who searches for his lost sheep. God is like the woman who searches for her lost coin and rejoices when she finds it. God is like the father of the prodigal son who runs to meet him on his return and interrupts his planned repentance speech with the announcement of a party. We believe that when we suffer, God is there suffering with us. Just as when we rejoice, God is there, rejoicing with us. God is with us in every moment of our lives, experiencing what we experience. And God's spirit is there, even in our suffering, to open up new possibilities for a future with hope at the very heart of our Christian tradition stands a cross on which an innocent victim died, not because he was being punished by God, but because Rome considered him a threat. It is hard to face suffering. It was hard even for Jesus. He felt abandoned by God, as we sometimes do when we suffer. But Jesus was not abandoned by God. When we gather around the Lord's Supper table, we remember that Jesus suffered. He was broken like the bread is broken. His life was poured out like the cup is poured out. We need to remember this often. That is why John Calvin wanted us to celebrate the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Our faith needs the frequent reminder that suffering is not a punishment from God. Rather, as we receive the bread and the cup, we are fed spiritually. They are, like, they are the meal that sustains our faith so that we can stand up for those who suffer, as Jesus did, taking risks, as he did, on behalf of the God who loves every one of us and walks with us through our suffering. God is good. Suffering is not your fault.